You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Sophie Cook, Clinical Reviews Editor. This week, we're talking about the developing role of HPV in the prevention of cervical cancer. Henry Kitchener, Professor of Gynaecological Oncology, and Emma Crosby, Senior Lecturer and Honorary Consultant in Gynaecological Oncology, both from the University of Manchester, have written a clinical review for us on this topic, and earlier I spoke to them to find out what clinicians need to know. Can I start by asking Henry what the relationship is between HPV and cervical cancer? Uh, Well, essentially, HPV is regarded almost by everybody in the world as the principal causative agent in the disease. Uh, In other words, following infection by HPV is either cleared, which occurs in the majority of cases, or else it becomes persistent. And in a small proportion of those persistent infections, the virus induces malignant effects on the cells by blocking tumor suppressor genes, and this encourages the uh, the cervical cells to become uh, pre-invasive and then invasive. Henry, do we know how common HPV infection is in women? The prevalence, if you like, of the infection uh, varies very much with age. In uh, young women who are embarking on sexual activity earlier in their adult lives, and who may have a number of sexual partners, we find prevalence of around 40% in women between the age of 20 and 25. At least that's the prevalence in our own area in, in Manchester and probably more generally in England. As women get older and the HPV infection is cleared and the opportunity for new infection becomes less as, as women's sexual activity, if you like, settles down as they get older. The prevalence of infection in women over the age of 50, for example, is down around 5%. So you did mention that HPV infection doesn't always lead to cervical abnormalities. How often do women manage to clear the infection? Well, probably the majority of women clear infection. You start to see clearance of the infection after about five or six months. And so by 12 months, it would seem that about 60% of infections have have cleared. And then after two years, it may be that 80% of of infections have have cleared. And so perhaps in 20% of women or so, something of that order, um, the infection becomes persistent. Um, Of course, it's possible to clear an infection with one type and then perhaps to pick up a new infection with another type. And we know that over a woman's lifetime, in the absence of prevention by screening or vaccination, there might be perhaps um, a 1-2% to chance of developing uh, cervical cancer. So actually, cervical cancer could be viewed as a very rare uh, complication of a relatively common infection. Okay. Emma, do you want to tell us a bit about the current screening programmes commonly used for cervical cancer in the UK, for example? Yes, certainly. Um, In the UK, we've had an organised call-recall screening system based on cervical cytology since 1988. 
Um, and this is essentially a system whereby women are invited for cervical screening, a scrape is taken from the cervix, and this is then looked at under the microscope by a cytologist, and cells that are normal um, would constitute a normal cervical smear, but cells that look dyskaryotic, so they look abnormal in nature, are then graded as mild, moderate, and severely dyskaryotic. And it is these women who may be harboring an underlying cervical intraepithelial neoplasia, which is the pre-invasive disease for cervical cancer. HPV is tested in uh, the cervical cytology sample. So in the past, we used to use a cervical scrape onto a slide, a glass slide. Uh, but we now take a scrape from the cervix and put the cells that are exfoliated into liquid-based cytology medium. Um, and that medium then can both be used to look for cytological changes, but also to test for HPV. A screening programme similar in other countries to the UK? They are similar. Most of them are based on cytology, particularly in developed countries where finances permit. Um, in other countries, they often have a reduced uh, cervical screening interval. Uh, so in the UK, we offer cervical screening every three years um, up until the age of 50, and then perhaps every five years if a woman has had normal screens up until then. But in other countries, they often have a reduced screening interval of perhaps every one year in the United States. Of course, countries that can't afford cervical cytology um, do have screening processes in place, but it's usually through private health sector, so it's not on a national health system basis. Henry, can I ask a little bit about how we think HPV testing might improve the screening process? Well, there are two aspects to to that. HPV testing is a more sensitive detector of underlying abnormalities than cytology. That brings its own problem in terms of uh, reduced specificity, but the testing qualities that you get with HPV are more uh, positive or negative compared with some of the more ambiguous results that you can get uh, with cytology. The other aspect of HPV testing which offers an advantage uh, in addition to sensitivity is that a negative result does not just mean that a woman is at negligible risk of having an underlying uh, abnormality, but it is also more likely that that woman will not develop an underlying abnormality for quite a few years. In other words, the negative predictive value is longer lasting with a negative HPV test than it is with a negative cytology result. And so that means that we anticipate being able to extend screening intervals, for example, from, from, from three years, which is currently what we uh, use in women below the age of, of, of 50, to perhaps six years based on uh, the results of, uh, of trials that have taken place with HPV testing. What happens if a woman is cytology negative but HPV positive? Well, that's the, the most difficult aspect of, of implementing uh, HPV screening. We're going to have to manage this new class of, of result. And the only way that we can do that at the moment is to consider early recall for these women 
We know that if you're HPV positive, that you are at increased risk compared with the general population. So we don't want to overreact by, you know, sending all these women off for colposcopy. But on the other hand, we don't want to just let it go because there's normal cytology or else we lose the added sensitivity that we're hoping to achieve uh, with HPV testing. So in, in short, probably early recall at around 12 months uh, to see whether the HPV infection has cleared or if it's persisted, another uh, cytology reading, uh, and possibly referral for colposcopy at that stage um, if, the, if the infection persists. I don't think there are any worldwide accepted uh, algorithms at the moment for the management of these women. It may be that in the future we will have a biomarker which could be um, an accurate predictor of underlying disease in this uh, group of women. So this sounds like an area which is still sort of undergoing development and refinement. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's for that reason that the introduction of HPV testing and primary screening in England, which began April, June time, is being done uh, very much on a piloting basis so that we can uh, learn and refine um, exactly as you suggest. Emma, I'd like to talk a little bit about vaccination, which you discuss in the review. Can you tell us a little bit about the vaccines that are available and how they work? Yes. Um, so we have two vaccines that are widely available in at the moment. They're both prophylactic vaccines, which means that they aim to prevent infection in women who have not previously been exposed to HPV infection. Um, they are composed of virus-like particles, which are morphologically identical to the virus, but lack the genome inside that makes them themselves infectious. So the vaccination mounts an immune response to the virus, which then prevents a viral infection from occurring in the future. And this is why we want to give this vaccine and are giving this vaccine to girls before sexual debut. We have two vaccines. We have one which is um, a bivalent vaccine, which is targeted against HPV 16 and 18, which are the two most prevalent high-risk HPV types in cervical cancer, and a quadrivalent vaccine that additionally protects against HPV 6 and 11, which cause benign genital warts. Do we know the effects of the vaccine in countries where vaccination programmes have been employed? We do. Um, there are some very exciting early data coming through where the quadrivalent vaccine has been used. They've noticed a reduction in the incidence of genital warts uh, presenting in genital urinary medicine clinics. And we might expect to see a reduction in the incidence of genital warts before we see a reduction in the incidence of pre-malignant disease and malignant disease of the cervix because perhaps the life cycle of these more low-risk HPV types um, is shorter and, and genital warts occur much sooner after contact than pre-invasive and invasive disease of the cervix. And the, the other uh, point on that, Emma, is that genital warts are clinically apparent and prompt uh, people to go, whereas uh, vaccinated females may not be shown to have uh, an underlying cytological abnormality until they attend for screening, which uh, may occur several years after they've been vaccinated according to their national uh, screening programme. Yes, and I think in Australia that's at the age of 20 they start screening. If the vaccine
vaccination programmes continue to prove successful, will cervical screening become obsolete in the future? I don't think so. Um, We'll have to wait and see exactly what happens when the girls who've been vaccinated reach screening age. But the vaccines can only really protect against between about 70 and 75% of cervical cancers. So they can protect against the cervical cancers caused by types HPV 16 and 18. Um, And there's some evidence of a little bit of cross protection against other high risk types. But there are still perhaps 25 to 30% of cervical cancers that are caused by different high-risk HPV types that the vaccine does not protect against. There will also be women who've not been vaccinated or women who've been imperfectly vaccinated, in other words, have not received all three doses. Um, And of course, we don't know how long the vaccine will last for. So it might be that it lasts for 10, 20 or 25 years, but what would happen after that? So I guess there's still a lot of work to be done um, at looking at exactly what happens when these vaccinated women reach screening age. And in your review, you also talk about how all of this translates to lower middle income countries or countries perhaps where there isn't infrastructure to support screening. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Henry? Well, the importance of, of, of all of this, of course, is that in terms of global health, the major gains in terms of life safe, particularly considering the relatively young age that women get cervical cancer. And the importance of this rests with disease prevention in countries that have neither had um, screening nor have uh, high quality healthcare facilities for women who get cancer of the cervix. And of course, the clinical consequences of cancer of the cervix are, are ghastly. So, It is really important, uh, in my opinion, that this tremendous advance uh, that's been made uh, is translated into healthcare interventions in in, in these countries. In some respects, the most uh, cost-effective way of achieving this would be through vaccination, particularly if uh, the vaccines uh, can be provided through uh, various agreements at a cost that is uh, compatible with the budgets of of these countries. And of course, there are a lot of competing interests in terms of other vaccinations, other disease burdens that these countries uh, have. But of course, vaccination isn't going to prevent cancer in the women who are already at greatest risk and that is women who, of course, have already been exposed, grown-up women who are perhaps between the age of 20 and you know 60 years of age. So there still is a need to try to um, prevent cancer from developing in these women. And the more that uh, screening uh, strategies can be introduced in some of these countries, the more cases will be uh, prevented. HPV infection is a lot simpler than uh, cytology uh, screening is because the greater simplicity of testing for it, the result is is either positive or negative. And with positive HPV tests, there are relatively cheap interventions like visual inspection of the cervix uh, under colposcopic vision or, or even just naked eye vision that can help to identify women who are at risk um, in whom a relatively simple treatment could be undertaken. There's been an increasing amount of, 
of evidence that it is feasible to introduce some forms of screening strategy. And I think that it's really important that this continues to, to grow and help to protect the women in these countries. Emma and Henry, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Okay. And for more advice on this topic, do look at Henry and Emma's clinical review on bmj.com. That's everything for this edition. We'll be taking a summer break next week, but join us on the 30th for more clinical advice and the latest developments in medicine. Thanks for listening. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.